Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hi, this is Malayan Verveer. And this is Kim Azzarelli. We are co-authors of the book, Fast Forward, How Women Can Achieve Power and Purpose. And you're listening to Seneca's Conversations on Power and Purpose. Welcome to this special edition. This new six-part series called Getting to Equal will change the way you think about women and leadership. And it comes at a time when women's leadership has never been more crucial. We have two amazing leaders who are guest hosting these six episodes. Carolyn Tastad, Group President, North America, and Deanna Bass, Vice President, Global Diversity, Equality, and Inclusion, both from P&G, one of the largest consumer goods companies in the world. Together, Carolyn and Deanna have created an impressive gender equality strategy for P&G, and it's a strategy that's really breaking new ground on these issues in the private sector. And they'll be joined by incredible guests from all walks of life. In today's episode of Getting to Equal, Carolyn and Deanna talk about racial equality and the path to getting there in the workplace and in the world. And they have two amazing guests, spoken word poet, author, and podcaster, Amina Brown, and author, consultant, and speaker, Tara J. Frank. Carolyn and Deanna, I'm so glad you could join us again today. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Thank you, Kim. And hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Getting to Equal. We have such a special conversation today with two incredible women. Amina Brown is a spoken word poet, author, and performing artist whose work interweaves keep it real storytelling, rhyme, and humor. Through her weekly podcast, Her with Amina Brown, Amina centers and elevates the voices, stories, and experiences of Black, Indigenous, Asian, and Latinx women. Tara J. Frank is a sought-after consultant, speaker, and author. Through her company, TJF Career Modeling, she helps leaders and organizations define a vision and develop strategies to advance their culture and leadership goals. Tara is also the visionary behind hashtag 
more than a movement, a not-for-profit to facilitate deeper understanding between disconnected people. Amina and Tara, I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for joining us today. You know, Tara, at P&G, we've been working with you on a couple of fronts, including the Open Doors program, which is all about accelerating progress for multicultural women within the workplace. And through that work, you shared with us a really interesting analogy that gives us a framework for how to think about this. Can you share that analogy with us? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things we often talk about when we just have the discussion around women in work is how do we need to better equip them to succeed? Um, but the way I think about this is there's, there's the vine, right, which might be the individual woman or employee, but there's also the vineyard, um, which to me is, is the microculture, right, the company culture, the systems, et cetera. Um, and thirdly, there is the climate the macro climate, which is really society, you know, and what's going on outside of our workplaces, in our lives, our daily lives. Tara, let's go a little deeper on that, uh, because I think the analogy is a great one. But that whole notion of the individual, the workplace and society and the community around, let's just take that a little deeper. Yeah, for sure. Um, Now is honestly such an interesting time to be having a conversation like this, because, you know, I've been in women's leadership work for quite a few years now. Um, And the one thing I've been saying for a while is, you know, this this is not about just developing women. It's not about um, teaching them how to, you know, develop uh, executive presence. You know, it's not just about helping them to devise their, you know, personal development plan. That's, that's one thing um, and certainly necessary, but it can't do much to break through a system or a culture that is so fibrous that it's essentially preventing them from breaking through to higher levels of leadership. And so the, you know, the vineyard is really, to me, is the soil fertile, right? Is the soil fertile for those women to thrive and to grow and to continue to succeed? Um, Or is it essentially kind of choking out that potential, right? Unconsciously sometimes. And then to your point, you think about the climate around that and the conditions that we're all seeing around us today in terms of social justice, and that puts even more pressure on the individual in terms of everything that they're coping with or dealing with, and uh, it makes it even more difficult. Yeah, it's an added burden, you know, for sure. I I always say that we walk into work. Well, these days, of course, we don't walk into work. We call into work. But you know, we show up at work as human beings first, you know, and employees and leaders second. Um, And so the the human piece of this is that none of us can detach ourselves from what's going on in our everyday lives, from what's happening with our families, from what's happening, you know, on the television and politics in the world in general. And so we all kind of carry that weight with us uh, wherever we go, you know, they always say, wherever you go, there you are. Um, and these days, especially as we kind of talk about race in America, for multicultural women, for Black women specifically, um, all of that comes with us everywhere we go. So that climate is really, I think, changing what what the responsibility of companies and, and company cultures um, is is kind of evolving to be right now. That's such great work. Tara, you know, it's been really important to us at P&G as you've come in and spread your magic around the walls of 
of PNG. It's been amazing. I want to um, I want to introduce Amina now. And Amina, you are a spoken word poet, an author, a podcaster. And we had the chance to host you in Cincinnati at an International Women's Day event this year. And I have to tell you, you closed out this event that we had with one of your spoken word poems. And we got to the end of what you said, and the, there were 350 of us in the audience, and there was this collective, do I jump up in uproarious applause? Or do I sit in silent awe at what just came out of you? And I think we collectively all had the pause and then the eruption. It was one of the most beautiful things I have ever witnessed. So I am so happy to have you here. That's my little love letter to you today. I received that. So tell us a little bit about your work, about, you know, the work that you do is really centered on elevating the voices of women of color. Yeah. Someone asked me, I get this question all the time. People say, you know, how do you find hope right now? And I always say, I find hope in the work of women of color. Because if we're looking uh, in our workspaces and our communal spaces, anywhere we look where there's good being done, so much of that work is being led by women of color. So I wanted to sort of have a platform of my own where I could say, here's a place where I can elevate the stories of women who get to tell their own stories in their own voices, who are the experts, who are the people who know. And instead of them being sort of pushed back to the side or being on the outskirts of a situation and sort of yelling in the back, you know, I mean, I've been in a lot of rooms where I looked around and went, where are the women of color? And it's not that the women of color are hard to find. It's not that the women of color aren't leading. It's that they are not getting the microphone as much as they should. So for me, that's very central in my writing. Uh, as well as obviously very central to my podcast. I was like, you know, I'd have to wait for anybody to give me a microphone. I'm going to grab a <laughs> mic and give it to the women that I want to have the microphone. And that is podcasting and spoken word poetry in essence. Yes. I, you know, it's um, in, uh, first of all, after I saw you back in March, and then just in preparation of having this conversation, I um, have been, you know, a student of her with Amina Brown. It's just really um, amazing work and beautiful stories that you're allowing to come forward and allowing, you know, people to sit in and listen and learn um, in these really crazy times that we're in. Yeah, I think it's been really important to me too, to make sure that women of color and marginalized women are not tokenized in the process. Right. Um, so sure, I could have just brought a Black woman on and say, here, tell me what it's like to be a Black woman. But uh, she's also an entrepreneur, or she's also a business owner, or she's also in the C-suite. You know, there's so many experiences that women of color have, and I want to hear from them as, as the experts, as the people with knowledge. And that gives us an opportunity to sit in front of them and learn. Yeah. And I think that is a beautiful thing. I think that is also justice. You know, when we were um, talking about doing this podcast together, the four of us um, uh, kind of working through what, uh, where did we want the center of this podcast to be? And you both talked about the amazing experience of being a Black woman leader in this moment in time. Um, I mean, I think the words that you used were um, rooted in community, uh, challenging, hopeful. 
Um, I'd love to talk a little bit more about that because I think there's something for all of us to learn in what the two of you are experiencing right now. I think one of the things I think about is, you know, Tara and I were first meeting, even though I knew of her work, I didn't know her until that day we were meeting there in Cincinnati. And it was beautiful to me just to see her as a Black woman thriving and to learn from her and to watch her lead. And then after that, when she said she and I both graduated from Spelman College, I just could have jumped out of all of my skin. I was so happy about that, you know? And I think when I think about my time at Spelman and even before going to Spelman, thinking about the Black women who were leading in my community, the Black women who lead in my family, you know, it is it is those women that came before me. It is the heritage and the legacy of the women who come before me that give me uh, the confidence the hope, the courage uh, to be myself in the spaces that I am in now. So that was this beautiful serendipitous moment for me to see my sister as uh, a fellow Black woman, to see my sister as a Spelman sister. And I think that's a part of what thriving right now is to me. It's, it's women being in community together. It's deciding we do this together. We build each other up. We encourage each other, you know. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, one of my one of the things I've been thinking about lately is the fact that we've been talking for a long time, right? <laughs> we've been sharing stories and sharing ideas, um, sharing content, right? Trying to inform and inspire, um, certainly educate for years. But people are listening in new ways right now, you know, which for me makes it all the more important that what we're saying count. Um, and so in my opinion, you know, I've been the most bold, honestly, with my language, right? With my calls to action, um, with my accountability conversation. Um, I've been more bold over these last few months uh, than I think I've ever been. And I never considered myself shy, right? Or I, I never thought of myself as kind of holding back. But it's one of those things where, where the light, when the light is on you for that period of time, because I mean, let's be honest, we don't know how long this particular light is going to last, right? Where I think all of us are kind of sitting back, like, hopefully this is a movement and not a moment, but hard to know. Um, so while we're in this space together, there are some things that need to be said, right? And a lot of people who need to hear them. So that's that's kind of part of the stepping into this moment, I think, as well, um, and doing so as as courageously as humanly possible. So, Tara, I love this notion of listening in new ways and listening right now and taking advantage of the moment that is now. And from a PNG side, we want equality for all women, and we see this as the responsibility of all leaders to deliver that. Uh, and and when we talk about all women, we want to make we we think about that from a multicultural standpoint, LGBTQ uh, people with disabilities in any way and in any spirit and how somebody would identify themselves and define themselves. And this notion of having a really courageous conversation right now and really addressing um, I, I'll go back to the vineyard analogy, but addressing the culture, addressing conditions in the environment that exist in order to make those conditions um, conducive to change and to advancement and development with, of multicultural women within the workplace, how do we drive that accountability? You know, what are the conversations in your mind that we need to be having more overtly today, now, taking advantage of this moment and driving that, driving that sense of accountability 
to make real and meaningful progress? Such a good question, Carolyn. And honestly, I'm trying to tease apart, you know, the 50,000 thoughts that are popping into my head right now <laughs> in, in response to that frame, because there are so many important ideas there. I think one critical idea is this whole um, concept of kind of the fence sitter, right? Anytime we're in the midst of some kind of major change, there are always people who are on the front end of that change, you know, let's go, I'm ready. There are always people on the other end of that change digging their heels in, right? Kind of more of a preservation mentality, really trying to protect themselves, their power, their position. And then there are usually a bunch of people in the middle, quite honestly, um, who I think historically have have sat there and observed what's going on in the world, right? Maybe relative to uh, the lack of equal opportunity and potentially, you know, felt empathetic toward folks who were who were being marginalized, but not necessarily that they were responsible for being part of that transformation. And so for me, one of the encouraging things is there are a lot more people who've been sitting on the fence. And and again, I'm not suggesting it's malicious, but sitting on the fence as a bystander who are realizing now that standing by is not a strategy for change um, and that they have to be as responsible for this evolution as women are, right, As, as Black women have been, as women of color have been. The other piece of this is we have got to change our leadership definition, right? How we define leadership and how we hold people accountable. Because the work ahead of us, in my mind, is not simply diversity work. It's not simply inclusion work or equity work. It's leadership work. And and the fact that many companies have had for years, and I know you know this to be true, it's, it's true in most companies I work with. Back in the day, right, they'd have two or three people who make up their diversity team who were supposed to, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> create somehow magically equal opportunity for the thousands on thousands of people in the organization. That's not their job alone to do. I mean, that's ridiculous right. when you think about it, right? So this is leadership responsibility. Then we wonder why we don't make progress. Exactly. Because it, it is the role of all leaders. It has to be the work of all leaders. Yes. Uh, and it's really, you know, we all talk about building the very best team using all of the available talent, not part of the talent available. And it's so important because we know time and time and time again, when we do that, everything gets better. Everything gets better. The culture gets better. The workplace gets better. The relationships build, the business gets better, everything gets better. Absolutely. And Amina, give us your perspective on that. I mean, I I just agree with Tara on on the idea that this is going to require some work, especially for the people who are in the most empowered and the most privileged of positions. It's going to require some strategy. I think it's really important that Tara used that word. I think in sentiment, you know, especially when, you know, I I joke with a lot of my friends when, you know, we were starting to see this, you know, global uprising, this national uprising of justice happening uh, in America. You know, it was like, oh, man, some people just woke up today and we're like, America, wait, things, things that are racist are happening here? Like, we are just waking up oh my gosh, I can't believe this place is racist. So then some people felt like, oh, I get in my feelings. I don't want to be racist. I don't want to be a part of things that are racist. And those are good feelings to start with, but it's not 
the place to end there with how our feelings are and that we want to cry. There are things going on that do make us cry. But if we don't have strategy for how we are actually going to affect change, then all we've done is cry. And we've just wiped our eyes and we've moved on. And the people whose voices should be heard are still not being heard. The people who have been railing against things and wanting things to change long before it was in vogue to say so have been yelling in the back. We haven't been listening to them. So it is a question of if we are in leadership, what is our strategy? And I would say uh, to white leaders as well, to think about this in a business sense, what is the business strategy? If you're truly saying, well, we better put up our anti-racist statement on social media. Well, what's the strategy behind that? And then will you do that personally also? Because if you go into work and you say, well, I want to have a strategy that I want this to be a more equitable place, but you don't find yourself being equitable in the other areas of your life, then that will also come to bear. You know, we need to do both of them. Yeah, for sure. And I I do know too, you know, because I, I work with mostly white people, honestly, um, you know, day in and day out who are, I think, trying to, um, get educated, quite frankly, right, about what's going on in America, the history of race in America, um, the impact of racism in America through the centuries. And I can appreciate that. It, but one of the one of the things I say to them is, you know, this is to your point, Amina, this is about what's now. What, what do we do now? Right. This is about your role in our shared evolution. And you have to have a role and it has to be active. So one of the things that I I tell people all the time is your good intent is not enough. Like, I can't tell you how many lovely, warm, sweet folks I've talked to over the years who say, well, we don't really feel like we need to set targets to achieve representation or that, you know, that's not really on brand for us. Um, We believe we know what we need to do. We need to make progress and change. And we're going to do that. Everyone's heart is in the right place. And I said, this has nothing to do with your heart. Like it's, you know, it's great to have a good heart, but a business imperative has teeth. We, we all know this, right? We're business women. You've never set a customer goal, for instance, right? Or, or an ROI goal and just said, we all want to increase that ROI as high as we possibly can. And because we care about doing it, we're just going to care our way to that goal. In a year from now, we're going to feel great about our outcomes. That's not how that works. <laughs> we all know it, right? Yeah, you're you're so right, Tara. You're so right. I mean, I love what you just said. We can't care our way to a new reality. We have to be intentional. We say that all the time. Intentionality is so important. We have to provide opportunities, experiences, development for our total talent pool. And then we have to hold ourselves accountable to the goals that we set just as we would with any business strategy. And we know that when we do that, good things happen. And that's leadership. It, it is. You know, we have very talented leaders in our company, Black, Hispanic, Asian American, many others, with huge responsibilities, running big businesses, having enormous impact. And importantly, we've declared our aspiration to have 40% multicultural representation at every level of our company in the U.S., I, I was there. I was there. It was a beautiful day to hear you say it out loud in front of everybody. You, you were there and it was a great day. And we know it's important. 
We have the most diverse leadership in our company history, and our business has never been stronger. As we've increased the diversity of our leadership, our culture's stronger. We're more inclusive. Do we have more to do? For sure. But we're making great progress. You have proof points. I mean, you as an organization have proof points. This is not a guessing game for you, right? This is not a wing and a prayer. Absolutely not. Proven strategy. We'll be back after this break. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O.com. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think, I'm covered, no worries. Well, not so fast. Remember, your out-of-pocket costs are not covered by insurance. That can be a lot of money for your family. But how do you know you're not being overbilled? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claim for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors, so you pay only what you owe. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. 
So I want to um, I want to shift gears just ever so slightly here, and I wanted to. This again is coming back to some of the conversations that we were having in preparation for this conversation. And you know, after the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and so many other Black men and women, really this past uh, spring, Tara, you said earlier, suddenly white people were paying attention that there's a there's a spotlight right now, and I would agree with you. And there's probably a lot of reasons why the spotlight is so bright right now. But you all you two also talked about the impact of of the white population reaching out to you personally to the black community with questions like what what can I do? What should I do? Um I, and you had really I think uh meaningful responses to that. I'd love for you to share. Um it's a it's a lot of layers when I think about this question because in the moment of the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, I, it was a lot of multitasking. It's a lot of anger and grief in my own body and my own fears and thoughts about what it means for me to be asleep in my home or what it means for me to be out doing what is a normal thing and that I could be murdered in the same way that so many Black people have been murdered. So it's carrying that, it's that layer. It's the other Black people who are in community with me who are also grieving and angry and some numb and not even knowing how to process all of it. It's getting those calls, right? So then on top of that, to be getting texts or calls from white people asking, what can I do? Um, That may seem like a very simple question to them, can be additional burden for me. So what I've had to learn, first of all, is that there are some white people in my life that I have that have earned the trust with me. But I'll have to say, even after we talked about this, I thought about it and I said, all of the white people in my life who I trust, who earned the trust with me, their text and calls said, can I help you? How can I support you right now? Tell me what you need. Is it, is it food I can send to your house? I wish the world weren't like this. Can I, can I send you something in your cash app? I literally had those kind of texts. So actually the white people in my life who earned trust with me didn't ask me to do anything for them. Now there were white people in my life who may have been work colleagues or we had more tangential type relationship. And I did get some of those messages. And for me, I had to say, I cannot answer that question for you right now because I am too full of grief. Yeah. And so I here I I might have a couple of things here, maybe start with this organization here, maybe look through these things. But I I just have to sit in this grief right now. So I cannot be the teacher and I cannot be the educator and I cannot build a bridge with you right now cuz I'm just doing what I can to get out of bed, you know? So I think it's important uh, for for white people who are coming to a moment of going, okay, I realize there are some things I didn't grow up understanding. There are some things I'm still needing to learn. I think that can be an important place to go. I think as much as you can, unless you have been given an invitation by a Black person in your life, uh, try to begin that work on your own. Even when you enter a conversation with a Black person wanting to ask them their thoughts about what you can do, enter the conversation having done some work so that you don't put undue burden on them while they are trying to literally survive in America, you know? 
So that's sort of how I think about that question. What What are your thoughts, Tara? Uh, I love that. Um, right when all of this was going on in the beginning, I kind of wrote this little piece on LinkedIn and I said, you know, you'll have to forgive us. We've spent years uh, compartmentalizing all of the part, you know, the aspects of our lives and kind of tying it up with a bow, putting it in a box, putting the lid on, tying it up, putting it up on a shelf so that we can go into the workplace and be successful. And when this happened, it, it kind of, it's the equivalent of, you know, someone unceremoniously knocking that box off the shelf, the bow comes undone and all of the contents went flying into the air. Um, and got in our eyes, right? And and we were honestly trying to see our way through it as they were trying to figure out what it meant to them. Um, and so all of that was real. You know, the grief is real. The, the weight of it was real. Uh, I think for me, what's different, um, you know, but I like to be very practical and pointed about this. What's different is this is the work I've chosen to do. My, my professional life, right? is rooted um, in building these kinds of bridges and helping white people understand black people and helping, you know, sometimes black people, quite frankly, understand white people, <laughs> you know, and in identifying in whatever meaningful ways I can, the common ground from which we can move forward together. But I'll tell you the, the, the infractions against people like me who are in this work is that some people would reach out and basically say, Hey, can you join us for this conversation? Can you come to our company, come in webinar, um, and, and spend an hour with us and just talk about this? And someone actually sent me a note and said, can you come do this for us for an hour? We don't really have any budget, but we're happy to donate to a cause that means something to you. No. Mm -mm. No. Right. Th those were the insults for me that look, this is my work. This is how I make a living. You know, this is how I add value to the world. And I have a lot of experience and I'm damn good at it if I do say so myself. And so the biggest insult, right, anyone could, I, I think, put on one of us right now is to ask us to bring our pain and our grief and our reality along with our insight about how other people can get better to them for free. And that was happening a lot. It feels, it, it's very, um, Gosh, uh, it, it's almost manipulative uh, because it's, um, yeah. I, I can't think of another word for it, but it's it's in the midst of grief saying, well, because this is a whole moment of emotion, then it's not business. Yeah. It's violating, honestly, is is what it is. It's, it's violating. Oh my goodness. Very. I mean, Tara, I remember the op-ed that you wrote, and we distributed that broadly in our organization because your op-ed was, Dear White People, Do Something. And I thought it was fabulous. So for anybody listening, look it up. Tara J. Frank, Dear White People, Do Something. I think the other thing that um, I was thinking about um, as I was listening to the two of you talk, I mean, this, you know, I don't mean to be naive to say, oh, it just happened in the spring and it, it didn't just happen in the spring. We're in a wave after wave after wave, and this is the most recent wave. But I think there's some reflection that white people need to do. I, I And, you know, if I'm honest with myself, I've been both of the people. I've been the person with the relationship, with the call that says, what do you need from me right there? I am by your side because it was coming from a place of love, 
of mutual respect, of relationship. And I also was the person that called and said, what, what, without the relationship. I mean, I mean, it's really, you have reframed something for me in this conversation that I didn't really take in. Um, and I think we've all done that. Um, I think, I think we all have find ourselves on this continuum. You know, the same conversation we were having the other day, this whole notion of people who, um, and I don't know which probably put, I, I probably put them in the middle bucket, people who say, I want to be a good person. So I don't want to make the situation worse. But, you know, this notion of I want to be a good person and I don't want to make it worse, but I'm still going to sit by the sidelines. And, you know, Tara, you, you have said, you know, that's not enough. That's not enough. Be a better person. That was Dolly Chug's, um, C-H-U-G, her book, The People We Mean to Be. Um, and the premise of that, which I absolutely loved, is just, you know, we, we spend so much time trying to be good people that we neglect to be better people by engaging in the learning process and being vulnerable as we do so. I've heard you say this before, and I love this point. And that, that opportunity for each of us to be a better person, not just a good person, but to be a better person by investing our time to, to learn and being open to that learning. Yeah, that's great. And one of the things we talked about when we chatted about this last time is just, you know, we're not a monolith, right? Amina, you used that word. Black people, Black women are not a monolith. And because one person doesn't want to help somebody through it today, um, doesn't mean that that same person won't be willing to tomorrow or that a different person might not be willing to today, right? It, it's just, we're all kind of in different phases of this journey. Um, we're all being shaped by this reality continually uh, in different ways. And, and we kind of sometimes have to pop our heads up and then pop them back down, right? And, and regenerate. It's a process. Yeah, I agree. And I, I loved, I love hearing that first line of your op-ed, Tara, <laughs> dear white people. <laughs> it's fabulous. It is fabulous. Do something because I, I do think a part of it is when we, when we find ourselves being the, the person of privilege or the people of privilege in a conversation, I think we want to look to the marginalized people to be like, tell me, tell me, you know, and First of all, whether we're talking about race or not, people of color are fantastic leaders. You should be learning from them, period, uh, whether we are talking about race or not. You should be thinking about that when you think about the books you read about leadership, when you think about the books you read about business. You should be, when you think about who your doctor is and who your dentist is, I mean, there are so many different things to consider there. You know, like this it, overall, people of color are brilliant, you know, so you should be learning from them, period. But on top of that, I think it's a good time for the people of privilege to talk to the people of privilege also. And I think it's a good time for white people to also talk to other white people. You know, um, I can't remember the name of it now, but there's like a Twitter account where like, if you have like racist trolls, you know, come into your, into your tweets, you could like at this account of white people and they'll come in and go, uh, 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 no, we're not going to have that, you know? And we need that too, you know, like if you are a person who has privilege, then you should be talking to the other people that you're in the room with them. You know, there are rooms of white people may not want to go to, may not ever go to, you know, but there should be other white people in that room telling those people <laughs> stop being racist. <laughs> like that should also happen. That would make a lot of black people and people of color way less tired. 
let me tell you, I have to tell you something so practical really quickly um, because I love this and you are so right. So sometimes on LinkedIn, I'll post something pretty provocative and inevitably if it starts to get enough views, somebody who's like a third connection who doesn't know me from Adam will come into the comments and say something absolutely foul. Well, I've developed enough of a network now that I don't say anything anymore. I sit back, I put my hands up, and I wait for one of my white friends to, to defend me. And they do almost every single time. And it is the most inspiring little moment for me to realize I don't have to get in this knockdown drag out with you, fool. Somebody is willing to do it on my behalf. And we need that. <laughs> we do need that. Well, Amina and Tara, it's been just an extraordinary conversation with the two of you. And I have a special request. Um, Amina, would you share some of your poetry with us before we close? Yeah, I'd love to do that. Uh, this poem for the women is one of my favorite poems to do right now. And I wrote this poem because I wanted women of color to be celebrated. And I wanted to try to incorporate uh, as much of our our different culture and, and background. I mean, you know, I would have needed a poem that was a thousand minutes <laughs> in order to cover all of that. But I wanted to try and, and tell this story. And I think uh, this will be fitting for our conversation. So this is just a portion of the poem for the women. We gather our words together like so many sticks until they ignite. We build fire. And around that fire, we sing. We sing because a song reminds us that we are always home. In this body, in this skin, and around that fire, we dance. We dance to the tune of liberation. We dance for the women who are no longer here. For the women who cannot speak, we will dance and fight for justice until every woman is free. Hear the drums in the rhythm we walk. As we speak in our mother tongue, as we say prayers in our mother's tongues, we find our language in banana leaves and avocado and rice and yams and seaweed. We tell our stories while braiding the hair of our daughters or building a business or leading the way in protest or performing surgery or frying chicken because nobody needs to tell our stories for us because our stories belong to us because we belong to each other. We raise our hands. We raise our voices. We raise the next generation. We create, we invent, we look ahead and see no path. So we use our feet to build one for the ones who will come after us. We leave a legacy in the sound of our laughter. Every day we build a world. Thank God for women. Silent awe again. Amin Antara, thank you so much. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. There is so much to learn from that conversation and so much to act upon. This series has been about reframing the way we see the world. And today's conversation with Amina Brown and Tara J. Frank certainly helps us do that. Here are some of the valuable lessons I took away. First, diversity doesn't just happen. For companies, it requires a smart strategy and intentionality. Just think about it. As Tara said, no business leader would ever try to hit her profit goals by saying, quote, we're just going to care our way to the goal. Diversity requires intentionality and accountability. Second, this is a moment of real opportunity. For those who want to help make progress towards true equality, 
This is the time to leave the sidelines, to drive real change. And this discussion reminds us that being a good person is not enough. We need not just to be good people, but we need to be better people. This requires learning and staying open and vulnerable. It won't always be easy, but it's some of the most important work we can do. To learn more about Tara J. Frank's work, go to tarajfrank.com and check out our podcast, hashtag more than. And to hear Amina Brown's podcast, download her with Amina Brown on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Join us next week for the conclusion of this special series when Carolyn and Deanna talk to advertising legend Madonna Badger about using your own unique superpower to help us all get to equal. You're listening to Seneca Women, conversations on power and purpose, brought to you by the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio, with support from founding partner P&G. Listen to Seneca Women conversations on power and purpose on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please support this podcast by telling your friends, subscribing, and rating us. For more information on Seneca Women, follow us on social media, visit our website, SenecaWomen.com, and check out the Seneca Women app, free in the App Store. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.